In Luke chapter 22, we come to a point in which our study over a year, almost a year and a half in the book of Luke, comes to a dark moment. A dark moment comes upon the earth the night that Jesus Christ is arrested. A dark moment, abandonment, betrayal, denial, mocking, beating, an illegal trial, and punishment of Jesus Christ begins. And the account in Luke, Luke's account of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it seems like every verse that we read becomes darker and darker and darker, leading to the darkest moment for Jesus Christ when he hangs on the cross and the Heavenly Father pours out his wrath upon his Son. And in the midst of these moments, as we look at the rest of Christ and the things that happen in these moments, it is important that we do not forget that all that Jesus went to leads to his glory. Therefore, the big idea from Luke 22 this morning, verses 47 through 71, is this. Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the Son of God who is seated in glory at the right hand of God. I'll begin in verse 47 and we'll read through verse 71. It says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. 
But from now on, the Son of Man will, shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. The word of God. I think that many times when I have read this text and the other gospel accounts regarding the arrest of Christ and Peter's denial and the trial that begins, I know that I have paid close attention to the details. And I was studying this week, preparing to preach on the details, and the Lord put upon my heart to pay attention to the names and the titles of Jesus Christ. In the midst of the dark moment, do we lose sight of the titles and the names that are clearly given to Jesus? Because if we pay attention to them, I believe we see a greater importance when we look to the cross and when he's crucified. And so it is a good thing to pay attention to what Jesus went through. But I believe it's a greater thing to pay attention to the names of Christ and what they mean when we see his suffering. If you would look with me at verses 47 through 53, the first name that we look at is the Son of Man. Jesus is called the Son of Man. If you have not been with us in Luke 22, we've seen this last supper that Jesus has had with his disciples in the upper room. And he explains to them with bread and with a cup of wine that it's reference, reference to his body that would be broken, his blood that would be shed. And he's told them to do that often to remember his sacrifice that would come. They went out to the garden of Gethsemane and while they were there, Jesus asked them to pray. And he goes a distance from them. And as we studied last week, he prays to the Father three times and says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of me, pointing to the cup of wrath that would come upon him at the cross for the sins of his people. And then he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. This is now the third time he goes back, wakes up his disciples a third time and says, you've fallen asleep. And in the midst of that moment, Judas is coming and with him. Soldiers from the temple with him, chief priests from the temple with him, elders of the nation of Israel in Jerusalem with him. And Judas knew that they were there because he had been with them in the past. We know that in the Gospel of John, as we read last week, that Judas would know where to find Jesus because Jesus would spend time with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you look with me at verse 48 in Luke 22, it says he, Judas, drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but said to him, Judas, why would you betray? And here's the key, the son of man with a kiss. If you read John chapter 13, we know that Judas, his betrayal of Christ was put into his heart by Satan. It says also in John chapter 13 that, that Satan entered Judas, that Satan possessed Judas, and Judas went out to betray Jesus, the Son of Man, with a kiss. Instantly, the disciples jump up and they grab their swords. And John chapter 18 tells us it's Peter who cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter, ready to fight. Jesus will die for you. I'll go to prison with you. And Peter jumps up at the moment with his sword and strikes first. 
And verse 49 of our text says, And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And what did Jesus do? He healed the man. He touched the man's ear and the man's ear was healed. In that moment, when they come to rest Jesus, Jesus shows his care and his love and heals this servant. And I've always wondered, did that change or did that move that servant's heart to see that Jesus truly is the son of man? And that's the last healing miracle that we see of Christ recorded in the gospel accounts. And in verse 52, it says, Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who have come out against them, Have you come against us as a robber or a thief with swords and clubs? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching daily. You were there. Why didn't you just take me then? But Luke has recorded in the last couple chapters, the religious leaders that were coming that night, they feared the people. Because the people were listening to Jesus. The people loved Jesus. The people wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to hear his teaching. They were amazed at the authority of his teaching. And therefore the religious leaders were afraid of the people. And that's why they come at night to arrest Jesus as if he was a thief or a robber. But if you look at what Jesus says in verse 53. But this is your hour and the power of darkness reminded me of Ephesians chapter 6 in which the Apostle Paul says that there is a battle that is waged right now. There is a spiritual battle going on around us that you do not see between the Lord and Satan and the fallen angels. And therefore, it would be a profit for you to read Ephesians 6 and to see how you stand in the battle empowered by the Holy Spirit and God Almighty. But he says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. But I want to read to you a passage in John chapter 18. It's not recorded here in Luke. And I believe it helps us see a greater understanding of this first title, the Son of Man. In John chapter 18, John's account of Jesus' arrest, the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. It says this in verses 4 through 6. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The soldiers, these chief priests, These elders hear Jesus say, I am. And they fall down. They fall back. And when I read that this week and went back to the passage in Luke, I was reminded and amazed of this, I believe, is the reason why they fell, because Jesus is the Son of Man. When you look at the gospel accounts, Jesus Christ uses the Son of Man as his title that he describes himself more than any other name. Son of Man, I believe, helps us understand the contrast between Jesus who is fully God and Jesus who is fully man. We see Jesus in his human nature, sinless, and we also see Jesus in his divine nature, being God, 
Therefore, Jesus, the Son of Man, is the perfect man and the only sinless man who could atone for those who have sinned against him. And the word God tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as we have been studying in the atonement of Jesus Christ, as we were just singing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the what? Blood, blood of Jesus. And Jesus' blood is the only atonement that can be given to wash away the sins of his people so that you can be cleansed, that you can be forgiven, that you can be set free from the shackles of slavery to sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. If you turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, we see the first time that the word son of man is used. And in Daniel chapter 7, In verses 13 and 14, here is what Daniel writes. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one shall not be destroyed. Jesus quoted Daniel chapter 7 and said that the Son of Man was himself. Well, what do we see in Daniel 7? A wonderful description of someone who is worthy. Do, do you know who, when it says the, the ancient of days, who is the ancient of days? Anyone know? Kids, anyone? God Almighty, God the Father, the ancient of days. And Daniel says, one like the Son of Man. But with all of this glory, all this royalty, all this splendor is presented before the ancient of days. And it says, to him was given dominion. To him was given glory. And to him, the Son of Man, was given a kingdom that all peoples from every nation and every tongue and language should serve him. And his dominion and his kingdom is everlasting. And it shall never pass away and shall never be destroyed. Jesus Christ said of himself, he is that Son of Man who has been given a kingdom for eternity and he rules over all. And it reminded me of a few months back, or maybe it's been a few weeks now, in Luke chapter 21, verse 27. And we looked at the return of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 27, And, when they will, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And so therefore, when we look to the return of Jesus Christ, he has said he's returning. He said, I am going to return. I will come again. And when Jesus Christ returns, you will see the Son of Man on the clouds with all of his glory returning for his people. And with him that there is this wrath coming upon all those who are sinners, who are not his own, who have not repented, who have not believed in Jesus Christ. And for for them, the wrath of God will be upon them for eternity and eternity and eternity in a place called hell. It is a very real place. We want the Son of Man to return. 
We want Jesus to come in the clouds with power and glory. And we want to be with him for all eternity, seeing him face to face. And therefore, as we were singing, blessed be the name of the Lord, we bless his name. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray for those who are lost without Christ, that God would save his people from their sins. Some of them may be your family members. Some of them may be your co-workers, kids. Some of them may be your friends in your classrooms that do not know Jesus. And if they die in their sins, they will be separated from him forever. Kids, do you pray for your friends? on your soccer teams and basketball teams and whatever sports teams and whatever you're involved in school. Kids, you look at me. From the youngest junior high, high school, do you pray for your friends? Do you? Yes, no? I hope you do. Do you pray for your teachers? Parents, adults, you pray for your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors? Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. And we also see in verses 54 through 62 that Jesus Christ is the Lord. It's important that you would see the title, the Lord, the name, the Lord. It's used so many times in Scripture that you could just pass over it. And yes, the word can be used in different ways, which we will look at here. But in verse 61, twice, Luke calls Jesus the Lord. It's important that you would see this when we look at Peter's denial of Jesus Christ, the Lord. It's important that you would reflect on this word, the word Lord. It's this Greek word, kurios. And what it means is this. The Lord means he to whom a person or thing belongs, a master, an owner, one who has control over a servant. And it can mean three things when you read it in Scripture. You could simply see the word Lord used as a greeting and calling a person, Sir, the Lord, Sir, it's good to see you. A second way it's used, and Jesus will talk about a Lord or a master over servants. It can mean a master of slaves or one with many servants. But it would be of great importance for you to pay attention to the third meaning of the word Lord. When you look at the word kurios and when it describes Jesus Christ, this Greek translation of the Old Testament, which we call the Septuagint, the word kurios is used to translate two Hebrew words, Yahweh and Adonai. And if you don't know what Yahweh or Adonai means in the Old Testament, they are specific, clear references to the Lord God. Therefore, when Luke calls Jesus the Lord, we see this one who is given absolute sovereignty. Didn't we just read that about the Son of Man? Isn't that what Daniel 7 said? And so in this text, Luke refers to Jesus twice in verse 61 as the Lord, the majestic title of the Lord God Almighty, declaring God's sovereignty and power, and it's given to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Do you know that many Christians, after Christ rose from death and ascended to heaven, in the early church, many Christians died and were murdered and persecuted because they refused to call Caesar Lord. Because they knew that Jesus Christ is the only Lord God Almighty. And if you look at our text, 
the Lord God, Jesus, is being denied by one of his closest friends, Peter. Peter denies the Lord Almighty three times in this night. If you look at verses 54, Peter, after, the, after they all abandoned Jesus, when he was arrested, even John, all the disciples ran from Jesus being arrested. Peter follows, but at a safe distance in verse 54. We know in verse 55 that it was a cold night. The gospel accounts said they made a fire. The soldiers made a fire to warm themselves. And so Peter comes into the courtyard where they've, after they've taken Jesus there. And he gathers around the fire. In verses 56 and 57, a servant girl who poses no threat to Peter at all says, Hey, you're one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? Aren't you? You're one of Jesus' teammates. What does Peter say? Verse 57, what's he say? No, I don't know him. Verse 57 is the first time there. He, he denies that he knows the Lord. He denies that he does not know the Lord God Almighty. Just denying it one time is a grievous decision. But look at verse 58. The Gospel of Mark tells us it's the same servant girl that says and calls him out again. Hey, you are one of them. And he says, no, I am not. Twice now he denies that he knows the Lord God. Verse 59. One hour later, another person insisted. You are one of the Galileans. You sound like one of them. You look like one of them. Jesus, you are with Jesus. And he begins to use strong words, almost like a curse and says, I do not know them. And so let's look at verse 60 and read. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter I mean, think about that for a minute. Jesus is coming back through the courtyard at the moment that Jesus, that Peter denies him the third time. And he looks up and he makes eye contact with the Lord. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And if you go back, we've already seen Jesus tell him, Peter, this is going to happen. You'll deny me three times. But when you turn back. So Jesus already pointed out that you will be restored. You will repent of your sins. You will turn and I will use you for my glory. But in that moment, weeping, weeping, weeping. Not only had Jesus abandoned him at the moment of his arrest, but he flees from him, follows at a distance and says, I do not know the Lord. And probably, maybe some of us may be quick to judge. We don't want to say it aloud like, man, I'd never do that if I was in Peter's position. We're like, Peter, how could you? You walked on water. You declared that Jesus is Lord. You saw the miracles. You were one of the three closest to Man, if I saw that, I would never. But yet it's something in the life of all of us as people who sin and sometimes as Christians is we are quick to judge another person. I don't know about you, 
But there was a temptation on my heart always to judge another Christian and say, why would they do that? They know the word. They're saved. And so don't be quick to judge Peter because I believe that we can clearly identify with the shame and the grief of Peter at that moment because every single one of you, including myself, is born denying Jesus Christ as Lord. Every single one of us is born into this world with a sin nature and therefore we all deny the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a glorious thing when all of God's people who are convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin respond in repentance like Peter eventually does. And so I ask you this, is Jesus Christ the Lord God of your life? Or do you worship another Lord? Or do you worship many Lords in this world? They can be other people. They can be possessions. They could be your job, your school, your degrees. They could be your wealth. They could be all kinds of things that culture in this world upholds. Do you worship other lords or do you worship the only Lord God, Jesus Christ? Turn to 1 Peter. Actually, we'll be there in just a moment there. You can hold that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of Man, and Jesus Christ is the Lord, we must take note that Jesus Christ is also the Son of God. If you look in our text in verses 63 through 71, it says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. I mean, think about that just for a moment. If you worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he was arrested, he was mocked, and he was beaten. It says they blindfolded him. They would say, prophecy, tell us who punched you in the face. Who was it in this circle that beat you? And they said many, many other things, blaspheming him. Already, Jesus has been mocked by religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders, They'd already mocked him. But the despising of Jesus increases moment by moment, as we read in Luke 22. The soldiers mock Jesus. They ridicule him. They beat him. We read in other gospel accounts. They actually rip out the beard out of his face. They spit on him. At a point which you'll see, they take a crown of thorns and they stick it on his head and they take a staff and they beat him with it and they give him the staff and the purple robe and they mock and they bow down before him as, as saying, oh, if he was a king, which they had no clue that he is the king of kings. And Jesus suffered greatly that night. When it says early morning, it doesn't mean necessarily morning when the sun came up, but early morning in the middle of the night, you have this illegal trial that happens at the home of one of the religious leaders and they've gathered the people and they were supposed to have the trials by daylight with the full council present but instead they begin to make their own decisions with a few of them present in the darkness and Jesus suffers greatly now look at 1 Peter chapter 2 
Peter who denied Jesus that night. Peter who later turned back to Jesus. Read the last chapter of the Gospel of John and you see this restoration of Jesus You can go and read the book of Acts and read about Peter's life. You come to the point when Peter writes to the church in 1st and in 2nd Peter. And in 1st Peter chapter 2, he writes of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it says this in verse 21 of 1st Peter 2. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says that Jesus never uttered a word back in a wrong manner as he suffered, as he was beaten. As he was mocked, as he was blasphemed. And Peter says to us there, <clears throat> he bore our sins in his body on the tree. That is, the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus Christ had sin, our sin, imputed to him, that he became sin, that he died and shed his blood. For the sins of his people. So that his people could be made righteous. And receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Is something that we should take great joy in. As followers of Christ. We should have not only joy. But gratefulness and thankfulness. Because you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know your sin is great before the Lord. And so you long for and desire and you need the righteousness of Christ, which you are given and clothed with at the moment when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when the Father sees you, he sees the Son's righteousness and he does not see your sinfulness. If you see there what Peter says, though, something to take note in the midst of the persecutions and the sufferings of Jesus, that he did not respond wrongly and that it's a reminder that Peter says, know that your savior was also persecuted because Peter writes to the Christians and he says, when you face these persecutions, don't forget the cross. Don't forget the beatings. Don't forget the persecution of Christ and the mockings and the blaspheming. Because your Savior went through that and he knows very well what you're going through and know that the Holy Spirit is the one that will see you through and empower you to walk under the hand of persecution. Therefore, we take comfort that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us as people. Because in those moments when you face whatever persecution may be before you in your life, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak 
will give you the courage to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will move in you and empower you in such a way that you never thought possible. Because God promises to do that for his followers when they face persecution, such as Jesus Christ did as he went to the cross. Turn back to Luke chapter 22, and if you look at verse 66, when day came, again early in the morning, they assembled the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and the scribes, and they led him away to their council and said, if you are the Christ, tell us. Even though I want us to focus in on the word, on the title, the name, the Son of God, I pause for a moment and I remind you of the word Christ, the word Christus, Christos in Hebrew, the word Messiah. It is a title of Jesus. It's not just a name. And Simon Peter, the one who denied him, in Matthew 16, in verses 15 through 17, Jesus, when he asked him, he says, The people are saying things, but who do you say that I am? And it says in Matthew 16, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. If you just pause for a minute, think about that. We read about Peter denying the Lord three times. But yet, a time before that, he says, Jesus, the people say this and that. And Jesus says, but what do you believe? You are the Christ, the Son of God. Again, pointing to the fact that we can be saved and that we can declare Jesus is God. And yet we can still battle the temptations to not stand for his name and therefore we must pray Holy Spirit fill me up help me to walk in a manner worthy of you give me the courage and the boldness to declare the good news the glory of Jesus Christ crucified for my sins risen again and returning to take his people to him pray and ask again as I look in this room students when you're in your classrooms And you're being taught things that are not true according to the word of God. I pray that you would pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the boldness to say, I don't believe that. The word of God says this. And the Holy Spirit would fill you to give you the moment to speak. And for those of you who have jobs and you're placed in a position in which there's an expectation for you to speak, act, teach, lead people in a way that is not in the way of the Lord, that you would pray and say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Maybe it's a moment of fear of losing a job. Maybe it's a moment of fear of being persecuted by your peers. And you need the power of God to help you stand for the name of God, that he would be glorified in your life and that you would know that God cares for his people. If you look in our text, in verses 63 through 71, Jesus is called and he titles and says again, the Son of God. 
And I believe the Son of God helps us understand clearly what we've seen the last four weeks together as I've referenced the book of Hebrews to you a number of times in the last few sermons. That Jesus Christ, when Hebrews teaches of Him, it speaks of these three offices of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so when you look at the name Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we're reminded that as a prophet, Jesus Christ speaks the Word of God to His people, revealing the truth about God. And in the office of priest, that Jesus Christ, the priest, that he died as a sacrifice, ending all sacrifices in your place for your sins, fulfilling the duty of the great high priest, offering the sacrifice of himself so that the, his people could be saved. And then at the, as the office of king, Jesus Christ, the king, the son of David, is the king of kings and lord of lords, who rules and reigns on high and has victory over Satan, over sin and over death and therefore the title Jesus the son of God is our savior who fulfills all of those offices perfectly showing Jesus Christ as God Amen. turn to Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae and says this in verse 13. And you, again he's writing to the saints in the church. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. They say to Jesus in Luke 22 and verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, I tell you, if I tell you, you will not believe and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man, as we already looked at, shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. There's a man named Stephen, a man of God, and the book of Acts records his life. And in a very short chapter there, we see his declaration of the gospel. And in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 56, Stephen declared to the people the truth of God. And it says these priests, these elders, these people of God are there listening to him to declare the gospel. And they're so angered by what he preaches in the gospel of Jesus Christ that they begin to rush upon him to kill him. In Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 56, But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Just as what Jesus has declared, that he would be seated in the heavens at the right hand of the Father. Stephen looks to heaven and he sees Jesus seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And the religious leaders are so angry. They're gnashing their teeth. They're tearing their clothes. And they rush upon Stephen and they take stones and they kill him. For declaring Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. And so in the text that we're at today, the last two verses, the leaders say, okay, so then tell us. 
answer this question. Are you the son of God then? And he said, you say that I am. Or your text may say, yes, I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And you would think that the right response, they would have fallen on their knees and on their faces before him after that declaration. But they did not, did they? We will see in the text to come, the trial continues. He goes before the Gentiles. He suffers greatly and goes to the cross. But don't let anyone ever in this world tell you that Jesus never said he was God. Do you know that that gets proclaimed a lot in this world? That you may hear people who are not believers and say, well, Jesus never said he was God. He clearly said he was God. He clearly declared he was God multiple times. He showed it by his teaching, his authority, by his healings, by his miracles. Jesus clearly is God and said he was God. So do not believe the lies of this world when the Discovery Channel or the History Channel around Easter time or, or Christmas time puts out their specials, which are filled with false lies and say, well, he never said he was God. Don't listen to your university professors who say, well, he never declared so. Students, don't listen to your teachers. You're like, whoa, don't tell my kid not to listen to the teachers. I'm sorry, but do not listen to your teacher if they declare to you that Jesus Christ is not God. You respectfully stand for the name of Jesus. Son of God helps us understand the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. In Luke 3, Jesus was baptized, and when he came out of the water, the Heavenly Father declared, this, was my, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Therefore, God the Father declares Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Three times when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, Satan says, if you are the Son of God, then do this. And Jesus rebuked Satan three times with the word of God. And an angel was sent to him to comfort him after that day, those days of tempting. But would you look at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. The title, Son of God, helps us again understand the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is completely obedient to the Father and never sinned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Don't stop there. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that in the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You may ask the question, why were the religious leaders then in our world today so offended that Jesus claimed to be God? The reason of their offense is because by Jesus saying he is God, he tells everyone in the universe that he is the only God and he is the only way that any one of his people can be saved. That's why people get angry. That's why people want to persecute Christians. That's why they want to send Jesus to the cross. 
because the religious leaders of Israel truly believed that he was blaspheming and they did not believe that he was God. There's always so much more. Know this. Those who do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, many of you there before you were saved, at one point, by the blessing and work and the glory of God through the Holy Spirit of God, regenerated your heart, made you to be born again, gave you a new heart so that when you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you knew your sin was great. You knew that his grace, the cross was great and glorious and that you needed forgiveness. And therefore, then you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord God Almighty. And today you praise him for that. And for those who are lost, if you're here, I pray today that you see Jesus And that you believe in him and the Holy Spirit rends your heart. As we reflect, as the worship team comes forward and we reflect on these dark moments leading to the cross of Christ, to the crucifixion of Christ. Let it be known. Remember what we started this sermon with, that Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the son of God who is seated in glory now at the right hand of God. And so you reflect on the names of Christ, Jesus, Messiah, Yahweh. Adonai, son of man, son of God, the lion of Judah, the root of David, the bright and morning star, the anointed one who is Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Do you love him? Do you do you worship him? Do you bow the knee to him? Because if you do not bow the knee to him now. You will join all who have ever been given life to bow before him one day. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray that Jesus is your Lord. And that you know him as son of God. And that you're longing for his return. And that if you're lost at this moment, the Holy Spirit would make you new. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, your word tells us in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Holy Spirit, would you make us run to you? Make us run to our Lord. Make us run to our Heavenly Father and be reminded that we are safe under the shelter of your wings, that you provide for us abundantly, constantly. You care for everything in our lives that we have of need, 
before we ever think of it. And we truly want to praise you. We truly want to declare you, Lord God Almighty. And I pray that from this moment, when we leave this building, that we would declare your truths and we would declare your great name to the ends of the earth and that we would long for your return. And Father, for all who are far off, all who are lost, all who are without faith, we pray that you would work upon them, Holy Spirit, and save them. Receive the praise from our lips as we lift our voices to you. In Jesus' name, amen.